Hi, Library 2.0, Steve Albrecht here. With our author interviews, I'm with Dr. John Budd from University of Missouri. And John, welcome. We're talking about your book, uh, The Library as Forum in the Social Media Age. That's a 2022 a release from Roman and Littlefield, my publisher as well. So welcome, John. Thanks for coming on with us. Thank you very much, Steve. I'm ready to go with this. So tell us about the title, The Library as Forum in the Social Media Age. There's a lot to kind of digest in, in the title. It, it's, it's about the library as kind of a positioning place for the community, yes? Yes, it is. And uh, the social media age is kind of a misnomer, if you will, because it does, the book doesn't really deal with social media as such, but it deals with conversations that take place in this day and age, which is governed in large part by social media and the kinds of discourse that take place in social media. But forum is actually a technical term and it can be distinguished in a couple of ways. One is as a public forum and as a limited public forum. The library is generally considered a limited public forum because conversations can take place within the library on a wide range of topics. What librarians are mainly concerned with is ethical discourse that takes place within the libraries, political and otherwise. So that's what the book really focuses on, how to have these kinds of conversations. And, and what's your background in the library world? Oh, my goodness. My background goes back more than four decades now. I started as an academic librarian in 1980 and worked in a medium-sized university library for a number of years, then went on to get my Ph.D., worked in an academic library again for a few years, and then joined the teaching ranks. And I've been a faculty member at first the University of Arizona in Tucson, second at Louisiana State University in Baton Rouge. And then since 1993, I've been affiliated with the University of Missouri here in Columbia. So when you look at, at the library space today, my, my sense is uh, librarian, library directors and librarians, professional librarians really feel kind of attacked by the by the political connection now to book bans and to protests about content and things that I, I've been doing library security stuff for over 23 years now. And it just seems like it's the last couple of years has been quite intense. So what have you seen in terms of the of this this the absence of discourse, I guess, over the last couple of years? Well, it hasn't really been an absence of discourse. It's been, I guess I would call it a skewed discourse. Uh, libraries, as you say, have been under attack for the last two or three years, especially. They've always been under attack by some factions. But in the past, the factions tended to be basing themselves more in uh, sexual orientation, sexually related topics and these kinds of things. But the politics has come to the fore in the last few years. And that's really been the focus of a lot of the book banning, the uh, legislative efforts, and many of the personal attacks on librarians that have come out in the last, oh, as you say, two or three years. So that's been a major concern. And the topics are 
again, sexual orientation, sexually related topics, but also increasingly race-based topics. Yeah, I mean, and that's you, what we see today. If you look back to, you know, one of the most banned books ever is, is Huckleberry Finn. I mean, Mark, Mark Twain, they've been arguing about his his material for for you know over a century and i look at the the library space i feel like you know librarians are are trying to be as equal in in providing content and the what they do programs and and books and materials to the communities that they serve and tell, tell me your sense of this i, I get because i do a lot of work around the the protests and the the First Amendment people coming in and disrupting the library and people that are trying to, um, you know, physically attack the director about some book they don't like. Oftentimes, I, I find that these people are more ear witnesses rather than eyewitnesses. They've not read the material. They've not they've not um, looked at the video or the DVD in question that, that bothers them. And so they're they're strident. But but from a perspective of, of ignorance. Uh, that's a very, very good point. And it is not a new point. Uh, for generations, library uh, documentation based on reconsideration of materials in libraries has asked the question, have you read or viewed the work that you're protesting against? And very frequently, the answer is no. I've heard about it, as you say. And that has been a problematic issue. And it is right, I think, to say, well, if you haven't read it, what is your objection to it? What specifically are you uh, opposed to within the document, within the film, within the audio, whatever it may be? And that, generally speaking, in the past, has sort of quelled the issue. People have said, no, I haven't read it, and you're right, I probably should, before I protest against it or object to its being in the library's collection. So we have in the latter day, though, uh, people who are less reluctant to, to say, no, I won't oppose this book, and more willing to say, yes, I am opposed to it on ideological grounds. And that is governing the discourse, if you will, today. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what you probably see is the same thing I do, which is what what once before was one person or two people and now is is 25. And, you know, they gather together on Facebook about the, this content, they gather together on their own social media platforms. And so they can create more of a groundswell, a negative groundswell about about these things which, you know, in your, your day and my day didn't exist, you know, before social media, you know, in the old days, if you were upset with something in the library in terms of the content, you wrote an angry letter to the newspaper, which may or may not get published. But but now everybody is has the freedom to be their own, you know, super critic uh, using social media as, as, the, as the leverage tool. And I, that must be a, a, a challenge for library people to say, you know, we feel like we're sort of being attacked on all fronts, that it comes in from Facebook and Twitter and and you know videos that these folks put up on various places. Talk talk about that sense of sort of Pandora's box with social media in general in terms of being able to espouse your opinion. Well, uh, you're right to to point out the social media impact 
of these kinds of protests. A group, just to mention one, such as Moms for Liberty, has been very active in protesting against the inclusion of certain works within libraries and within schools. And they've gone a step further to become activists in trying to uh, recruit candidates for library boards and school boards so that they can work from the inside to try to control the flow of information and the flow of art in libraries and in school settings. This is also extended to higher education in states like Florida, Iowa, Texas, even here in Missouri. Right. So that uh, what can be taught and what can't be taught is now becoming legislated or dictated, if you will, and I use the word advisedly, uh, by politicians who have an axe to grind or a particular position to espouse. Yeah, you and I are both in, in Missouri, and and you know Missouri legislators now are getting involved in in book banning piece pretty pretty uh, intently. I, I don't have a sense um, in Missouri where that legislation stands as as in terms of being able to deny content. Do, do you have a kind of an updated perspective, at least here? There's nothing uh, put forth yet, but there's been a lot of, of conversation about book banning, legislating what can be in schools, and even to the, to the extent that higher education might be affected. Although in Missouri, higher education is relatively free from these sorts of uh, obtrusions or interferences, and they're able to, professors, students are able to read and see what they choose for the most part. But in the state of Iowa, for example, our neighboring state, there was legislation to try to legalize book banning, and that was just struck down by a court. So that's a victory for librarians and for freedom of information. But it also is a warning that these sorts of efforts exist and probably will continue to exist for the foreseeable future. So one of the concepts you talk about in your book, um, it's the library as forum in the social media age, 2022 uh, Roman and Littlefield publication, is the idea of the commons. And and from my perspective, uh, this really rang a bell for me, the, the concept, the definition, I'm, I'm keen to hear your, your take on it. Uh, my dad wrote a book called The Blueprint for a New America. And my dad's a, a futurist and he's been a, a writer and consultant for, for 50 years. And the blueprint for a new America was about this idea of respecting the commons and understanding that the commons is for the common good. And, and because we have parks and clean water and sanitation and roads and highways and bridges and, and cops and firefighters and, and trash collectors and everything, this idea of, I think, at least my dad's perspective was that we sometimes take the commons for granted, even though it's a valuable part of how we exist in a civil society. Tell, tell me about how you, you perceive this concept. Uh, I perceive it much as your father would perceive it, I think, and uh, applaud his his vision for, well, a new America that might be more akin to the old America, if you will. Uh, a lot of this goes back to classical liberalism 
of the kind espoused by John Stuart Mill and others in the 19th century. Mill, of course, wrote the treatise on liberty in which he did advocate a almost complete freedom of discourse and conversation within the body politic, even to the point of allowing lies and misstatements so that they can see the light of day and be corrected. That kind of classical liberalism is brought forth today by the likes of people such as Deirdre McCloskey, who is a scholar in political science and who has written about liberalism and uh, denies the use of the term libertarian because that is fraught, that carries some weight with it, but does advocate classical liberalism in terms of freedom, freedom of information, freedom of speech, the kinds of freedoms that are articulated in the Constitution and especially the First Amendment. And these are the kinds of things that I try to advocate in my book. A part of it includes uh, the kinds of conversations that can take place within libraries between people of a conservative mindset and those of a, a leftist-leaning mindset. And I should say that the terms conservative and liberal these days are intensely problematic and are bordering on the useless when we talk about the politics of this day and age. But stripping the conversations of ideology in the pejorative sense and using these voices as voices of reason and of willingness to listen as well as to speak is an attempt to try to show exactly what can take place within libraries as a commons, as the place of a limited public forum where people can gather, hear dissenting views as well as assenting views and weigh them accordingly and see exactly where there is merit in people's ideas and their speech. So if you look at a library director and you say, you know, he or she says, I, I want to create an environment where this conversation could take place, but it, but, it, but I need boundaries. I need I need to feel safe for myself and staff. I need the patrons to feel safe, physically safe, and and you know you know what what do you have kind of a roadmap that you talk about as as a way to do this in terms of baby steps? Here here's what a first forum may look like. Here's what what a you know the the marching order in terms of of a process that makes it useful for everybody. Yeah, uh, the uh, the watchword, if you will, is discourse ethics. That is the openness to allow people to speak their minds, not in an attacking or uh, combative sense, but telling what the ideas are behind their particular beliefs. If I can just read a brief passage from the book, Sure. On page 120, I actually outline a few of the elements of discourse ethics. One, 
Active participants in discursive, discursive practices, conversations, are able to speak freely and openly, provided that no one individual dominates the conversation. Two, active participants warrant the attention of the other participants. Their speech should be listened and attended to. Three, the speech that takes place shall be grounded in evidence that lends credence to what is said. Four, the evidence should follow the guidelines discussed earlier and can include empirical data, experience, and or testimony by knowledgeable experts. Five, the exchanges that take place should be open and any discussion should be respectful and be based precisely on what has been said. So given those particular strictures, there can be an allowance for, for instance, knowledgeable experts to debate one another in this limited public forum and present their ideas, not in an ideological sense, but with evidence backed up by belief and testimony, and people can weigh what is said and come down on whatever side they see fit once the conversation has taken place. So your process suggests to me that that we need a fairly strong facilitator for that to work effectively, that it doesn't de-evolve into a, a shouting match. I mean, somebody from the library or somebody that the library brings in as a as a local or national expert that has the the strength to be able to to manage all perspectives in a way that doesn't turn into a shouting match. That is exactly the case. And there should be a strong facilitator. And the participants in the, the debate or discussion should be willing to listen as well as to speak. They must be able to give the other participant the forum that is needed for them to speak their mind as well as to speak their own mind and be willing to listen carefully to what is said. Uh, in this case, the old meaning of rhetoric comes to the fore, and that is persuasion on the basis of truth. So it is an articulation of truth as each participant sees it and is willing to come forth with ideas that are based in what they see as true. It strikes me when you talk about, you know, your your rules and the, the boundaries that you're trying to create, the passage you discussed, there's a couple of parallels that I see. One is um, those are decent conflict resolution tools, uh, in conflict between people and groups. And then the second is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the concept of restorative justice, which and I've seen libraries do restorative justice programs where it's usually juvenile offenders, where they've they've sat face to face with a facilitator and somebody who has been harmed by that person, the victim, a crime victim. Uh, that's a very intense process. It's a very emotional process. There has to be some truth told by the perpetrator and 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 by the victim. But it, it sounds like, you know, that that approach, restorative justice and conflict resolution, there's some some um, kind of feet in, in those arenas of what you're talking about of of discourse rather than argument and 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 being able to actually listen, which I think is a skill that's that's pretty rare these days. I couldn't agree more, Steve. Uh, that 
that is a foundation of this kind of conversational tool that can be used within libraries. And as you say, there, there need to be some ground rules that are established, not just for the speakers, but for the audience as well, so that they can listen and so that the speakers can be heard. Uh, what, what's, some, what's some topics that you've seen libraries um, use your approach that, that seems to be, you know, not too much of a fire hose approach, but really kind of baby steps would say, let's let's start with a, you know, a monthly dialogue about something or something that we do that's that's based on the time of the year um, or some issue that's coming. What, what, what kind of steps can you give library leaders to think about as, as a way to do this? Well, uh, one possible uh, early step would be to talk about the economy in general. And that is not neutral, but it is not as heated as a topic such as, well, abortion, for example. And that may be a topic to stay away from because it is so loaded. But we can talk about the economy. The news just came out today that the, the national debt has now reached $34 trillion. Well, what does that mean? Is that something to be concerned about? Is that something that we can accept? What does it mean for everyday people in their lives today? What does it mean to have a balanced budget? What do we do about spending on social matters, such as Medicaid, for example? So that's just one particular topic that could be uh, very fruitful to take place within a library. So when you look at how libraries would do this, they're, they're using their meeting rooms, they're, they're somebody who can facilitate for this, there's uh, the, the ability for, maybe they also to capture the ideas in some way, so there's after action, like, you know, we're gonna put up on our website, here's what, what sort of conclusions were, were uh, drafted by the group. I mean, how, how does it look like in sort of the aftermath? Well, there are a couple of ways to deal with this in the aftermath. One, the actual conversation could be recorded and placed on the website of the library so that everybody can see it, can hear what was said, including those who didn't have the opportunity to be there in person when it took place. So that would be a very good step for libraries to, to take on. The other is through the collection itself and make sure that there is a balance within the collection so that people can see all sides of an issue. And that doesn't mean having everything that is written on the issue because there are polemical pieces that are attacks on one person or another. Back in the former presidential campaign, there was the uh, Swift Boat Veterans for Truth that basically attacked John Kerry. And that is not necessarily something that should have a place within all libraries, but somebody who disagrees with policy positions that somebody like a John Kerry would hold certainly does deserve to have a place. Several years ago, I did an analysis of some political works and saw that libraries tended to have those from left and right 
and that they circulated almost equally. So there is some empirical evidence that this can work within libraries. So what, as we conclude, uh, what, what sense of kind of confidence can you give library directors about their kind of fears about sort of storing up a, a community hornet's nest about various issues? We, we want them to have courage, but we want them to also feel safe while they're doing it. What, what kind of sense of, of hope do you give them about this process that, that, that can be fruitful for them, but doesn't turn into a, you know, the kind of shouting match that ends up on TV? Uh, yeah, that is that is a concern because people may take the opportunity to turn it into a shouting match. The one thing, as we've talked about, is to have a very strong facilitator who can make sure that the participants have equal opportunity to speak and that the audience has an opportunity to listen and to question openly and honestly about this. That means there does have to be, as we, as we talked about, ground rules for participation in this kind of conversation. That is, it has to be respectful. It has to be open in the sense that people can say what they have on their minds and be heard and not be shouted down. So there are ground rules, as I said before, for the audience as well as for the speakers and participants in this. If that can take place, then I think we have an opportunity in libraries of all types for there to be productive and fruitful conversations where people are enlightened by ideas that they may not have, have heard before. I've been talking to Dr. John Budd, Professor Emeritus, University of Missouri. His Roman and Littlefield 2022 book is The Library as Forum in the Social Media Age. Dr. Budd, thanks very much, sir. Thank you, Steve.